Hello and welcome to the Period Chats podcast. On this podcast, we look at how society has impacted women's health over the years. My name is Kate Morton and I'll be your host along with many amazing guests who will join us. I'm a registered dietitian and passionate about bringing women's health to light and making it a table conversation. This episode and future episodes are brought to you by Funkit Wellness, an all-natural cycle support company that works to support women through their entire cycles, not just their periods. You can try their amazing seed cycling kits on their website at www.funkitwellness.com or you can join their community on their Instagram at funk.it.wellness. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Period Chats podcast. We are so excited to have Jen Lynch on today. She is um, a certified nurse midwife, so she is going to be talking us through lots of different things throughout the life cycle, but we're going to focus actually on perimenopause because this is something I get lots of questions about nutritionally, and I really wanted to dive in to how it works and when it kind of starts, because I think that's a question we all have is like, all right, we got our cycle now. Um, what's going to happen next in a few years? So Jen, I'd love for you to introduce yourself um, and we'll get started. Hi, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so I am a nurse midwife. I've been practicing for about 20 years. Um, I live in central Illinois with my four kids and I do um, mostly gynecology at this point. So I stopped doing deliveries a couple of years ago to focus on my own family endeavors. And so I primarily do gynecology. So I work with a lot of patients in this age, you know, in their thirties, forties and all the gynecologic questions and concerns and angst that comes with not only just childbearing, but also what's after childbearing. Yeah. And I'm so excited to have you too, because I think something that, and I went through this too, like I used to get so much anxiety around having to talk about anything like gynecologically, related going to the doctor. Um, so I think I love having healthcare professionals on here who can really be like, okay, it's not scary. This is what we're actually like <laughs> and kind of talk things through. So thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. So, so question one, what is perimenopause? I did not know this was something that existed or that I should even have on my radar until I was doing some research. And I was like, Hmm, this happens a little sooner than I thought it might happen. <laughs> Absolutely. So perimenopause is the time frame between um, as your body is transitioning from a hormonal standpoint, when your estrogen levels are starting to reduce and your body is getting ready to stop producing eggs and you'll eventually stop having cycles. And I think so many of us are so cognizant of our periods. You know, when we, when we're young and we start our periods, that's kind of the focus of our life. And then when we're in childbearing years, we're thinking about ovulation and, you know, am I going to get pregnant and what's going to happen after I have my babies and that sort of thing. But the perimenopause period has kind of been really misunderstood for years. I think a lot of people don't talk about it. They don't talk about the changes that occur after they, you know, are in their thirties, forties, fifties. And, um, it's an important part of female health, um, for many different, you know, systems in your body, but certainly, um, from the period standpoint, we expect that the perimenopausal time frame can last for anywhere from four to 10 years. So oh it can my start, goodness. yeah. So it can start as early as your early thirties, you know, so women who, um, start to have 
menstrual changes and mood changes and libido or sex drive changes. I mean, all this stuff can be an indication of perimenopause. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to stop menstruating, but it just means that we can intervene and help you with some of these symptoms that you're having. Um, the diagnosis of menopause doesn't occur until you haven't had a period for an entire year. Oh, wow. And the majority of women um, won't stop cycles until their early 50s. So, but this 10 year time frame from, you know, sometimes early 30s to mid 40s, all the way to your 50s can be a little anxiety producing and troublesome and um, lots of symptoms that people just don't understand and want more answers to. Yeah. Okay. That is so much good info. And I think what, you know, it's funny when I started Funk It, I was like, periods are so under talked about, which they are. And the period stigma is so real. But then I found this whole other part of our cycle that's even less talked about. And that's where like perimenopause and menopause have really been something I've been obviously like, I'm still having my cycle, but there's something I want to talk about because I don't think that I didn't even know it existed. So how do you, what do you do if you don't know it exists and then you don't know how to kind of treat it or help it along? So I'm really thankful well, that you were talking about it because that's so helpful. Well, thanks. I think, you know, I think the biggest thing as a gynecologic provider, we have a lot of women who come in for annual exams and annual exams only. And so it's their one time to kind of talk to their provider. And a lot of women don't come with questions. They come and say, everything's fine. And, you know, it's a 10 minute quick in and out appointment where they get their breast exam and their pelvic exam and occasionally their pap. Um, but I really encourage women, you know, when we're talking about um, what their gynecologic health has been over the last year, we talk about, um, you know, how often is your cycle? How long is it lasting? Um, do you have any premenstrual syndrome kind of changes? Um, are you having vaginal dryness? Are you having breast tenderness? Are you having trouble with intercourse? Is it painful for you? Um, are there changes with urination? So there's a lot of questions that we don't always think um, can be related um, or that we don't want to talk about with our provider. But I would encourage people to take that time um, to talk to their provider about things because a lot of it is normal. Most of it is just natural, normal body processes, but there are also things that tip us off as providers to say, okay, we need to talk a little bit more about what, you know, what's happening here and how can we help with those symptoms? Because the other thing that I tell women so often is most of this is natural. Most of what is happening, you know, as we age is normal and natural, but if it is affecting your quality of life, you don't have to live like this. You know, I think a lot of times people say, oh, I'm just getting older and my period's getting miserable and I just have to live like that. That's not the case. Same with urinary dysfunction. Oh, I'm just getting older and I'm going to start leaking. So I'll just wear panty liners for the rest of my life. We don't have to live like that. We thankfully with modern medicine, we have so many options for relief in these scenarios. So I would just encourage people to really take the time, especially before they have, um, their appointments where their providers to really start thinking about some of these questions before they go in. Okay. That is awesome. And I believe in that as well, because it can be a rushed environment, especially in COVID. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I have, we have a checklist on our website, on our blog that I can link in here that you can print out and like write down your questions for when you're going to the gyno. But mm -hmm. I mean, it's something I talk about all the time and I still get nervous and feel a little like, okay, I have to get all my questions out in like five minutes when that's not the case. Like, she, right. my provider is awesome and she'd be happy to take the time with me. Um, so I love that idea of going in prepared and 
if you have been experiencing anything that is altering your quality of life, being able to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we touched on this a little bit, but I want to dive in a little bit more. What are some of those symptoms? And not saying to anyone like on the podcast, like if you have these symptoms, it doesn't mean you're going through this, but what are some red flags or things you might be like, okay, write that down or take a note of it to talk to your um, gyno about? Yep. So menstrual changes are common as we age, you know, and I, I call the teenage years hormonal chaos and I call the perimenopausal years hormonal chaos. And the wonderful thing, especially if you have teenage daughters, you'll be experiencing them at the same time as your daughters. It's really fun. <laughs> so, what a fun um, experience in general. Right? We'll right. get you guys all yeah. seeds together. Right, exactly. It's wonderful. Um, but so menstrual changes are really common as you age. Um, but red flags that you definitely want to talk to your provider about would be um, heavy menstrual bleeding where you're soaking more than a, you know, super tampon or a large panty liner or pad um, in one to two hours. Clots yep. any larger than a golf ball. You know, we always want to know about heavy bleeding or periods that are happening closer than every 21 days. That's not normal. I mean, there is definitely cycles can range anywhere from 22, 23 days for some women up to 35, 45 days. And that can be normal for certain women. But if you're having multiple periods a month, you know, you definitely want to touch base with your provider and make sure that that's normal. Um, and there's no further investigation that they want to do. Um, the other thing that can be really, really common um, as we age is mood changes. Um, a lot of that can be due to outside stress and things like that. It's not always just due to hormones, but um, there can be some hormonal mood changes that can occur. And so there's lots of different strategies that we as providers can kind of help you through some of that process too. Um, vaginal dryness is really, really common. And it's not so common in the early parts of perimenopause, but certainly as you're getting close to stopping your cycle and certainly after you stop your cycle, um, the, the vaginal mucosa is really mediated by estrogen, the hormone estrogen. And as that estrogen is depleting, um, you know, it's probably one of the most common symptoms that we hear from women that intercourse is uncomfortable or vaginal um, kind of irritation in general. So those are things you really want to talk to your provider about for strategies for relief for that change. Um, and also urinary leakage. So as estrogen starts to deplete as well, um, your bladder may have just more tendency to have leakage, um, certainly with coughing or sneezing, or sometimes just in general. And again, I think a lot of women, certainly of our, of my mother's generation, I'm 45 or 44 years old. Um, I think women um, in the past didn't have options for relief. And so they just kind of assumed, well, I'll just wear a poise or, you know, a panty liner and I'll just go about my day. But there's lots of options that don't always include surgery. I think that's the other kind of stigma is that if I have that symptom, I'm going to have to have surgery. And that's not always the case either. So. Awesome. And I, I love that you're touching on simultaneously, like all of the ways that these things can be fixed because I think that's the scary part. It's like, okay. And it's like with PMS or any hormone change, I just have to deal with this and it becomes such a burden on your day-to-day -day life. So when you kind of hear like, yeah, if you're experiencing vaginal dryness or bladder leakage or heavy periods, these don't have to be like your 
daily experience, your monthly experience, there's tons of things you can do. Um, I know from a nutrition standpoint, that's where like phytoestrogen foods can be really helpful for vaginal dryness, which mm -hmm. is something that I've been on a whole tangent of research around vaginal dryness because I realized I did, I read that around 65 to 75% of women are vagina owners will experience vaginal dryness. So it's something that a lot of people are dealing with. Um, but then there's a stigma around it. Like, oh, well, if I'm experiencing that, it's this like almost, it must be my fault. I'm not into this enough or something's going on. And I think it's really important to recognize that it can actually be a hormonal change that we're unaware of. It can have nothing right. to do with whatever else is going on in your life. Absolutely. And there's a lot of women that kind of come in and they're, um, perimenopausal years with, you know, irrit vaginal irritation and they think it's a yeast infection or they think it's a bacterial infection or, you know, all of a sudden their libido is changing because when you get to talking to them, um, libido is sex drive. So women's sex drive will start to diminish because a lot of times when you start to talk to women about is, you know, intercourse painful for you, you start to kind of peel back the layers and realize that actually the reason why they don't want to have intercourse is because it's really painful. And so who wants to have sex if it's painful? Nobody wants to do that. Right. So if we can correct that, then we can empower women to then, you know, still have a really functional and fun and exciting sex life. So there's a lot of parts of female health in general um, that improve so many different avenues that if we can improve just one area, same with bladder leakage, bladder leakage is another huge um, kind of inhibitor for libido for women as they age, yeah. because they worry that they're going to leak urine. And so they don't want to be intimate with their partner. Um, this happens a lot with postpartum women too. I mean, so there's a lot of different times in your life where things are happening and you may feel embarrassed that you're the only one going through it. Um, but in all actuality, this happens a lot and we have lots of options and strategies to help. So don't ever be embarrassed about any of these things to talk to your provider about because it will change your life if you can empower yourself to bring it up and, and try to find strategies for help and relief. That is amazing. And I think it's like, I think the conversation, like it sounds so simple, but having the conversation, like even just like with your friends you trust, like I always say, like start with someone you really trust, like, you know, cause it can be, you know, with anything that feels intimate and personal, it can feel really scary to share. But I remember like just starting with like, and I, the only thing I can compare it back to is like with PMS symptoms, but going back to people, I was on a birth control where I was bleeding. I bled for a year. I didn't want to tell anyone that I was bleeding for a year. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're going to know like it's affecting all these other things. I started right. talking about, I was embarrassed about it. And then I started talking about it and I realized that's how I ended up realizing it wasn't normal. And right. Friends had experienced similar things. So I think like having that support of people you can talk to, to really bounce yeah. things off is so vital to this and having a great healthcare provider, which at the end of this, sure. I'd love to pick your brain. Cause we get lots of questions like, well, how do I develop this relationship? So I want to circle mm -hmm. back to that point because I yeah, think absolutely you. And I think what you brought up is exactly right. I think we as women, it's natural for us to, to share, you know, we share where we shop, we share, you know, what kind of beauty products we use, we share where we like to go grab our coffee, you know, all of those things. And so this is just another element of feeling comfortable sharing 
with, you know, a trusted friend or providers. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important for community. Like when you have to deal with something alone, it feels so much bigger than when you finally share it. And then your friend's like, oh, actually, like I've been having the same thing and I thought it was just me. And then you find out there's so many other avenues. Absolutely. Yeah. So you touched on this a little bit already. So perimenopause does not mean you're already in menopause and you will Mm -hmm. still be most likely having a cycle, correct? While you're dealing with all this stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So menopause, so the difference between perimenopause and menopause is perimenopause, you'll still be cycling. Menopause is diagnosed when you haven't had a cycle for a full 12 months. So you will no longer be having a cycle once you're menopausal. Can it come, can your cycle come back? So if, if you go a full 12 months without a cycle and then you start having cycles again, you do want to let your provider know, because that is definitely something that is not, um, normal. And so we would want to check that out. We call that postmenopausal bleeding and we do a little bit more of a workup with that. So no, if you stop cycling and then you start cycling again, you definitely need to let a, a provider know. Okay. Interesting. That's good to know. And then the other question I was going to have is, can you still get pregnant while you're going through perimenopause? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> In fact, we have Lots of women who have been having, you know, healthy, normal, unexpected and expected pregnancies into their 40s. <laughs> um, and so, yes, even when your hormones are starting to shift in the perimenopausal years, you can absolutely still spontaneously get pregnant um, and sometimes um, very easily get pregnant. So just because your cycles are changing, don't expect that you're less fertile in this time frame. Um, this is actually a really important time frame for a lot of women to make sure either they're protected or not protected, you know, from a pregnancy standpoint, because um, you may not be ovulating every month and it's sometimes hard to kind of figure all that out. And so um, we do have women who kind of assume they're perimenopausal and so they're not going to get pregnant. So they become more lax when it comes to birth control or <laughs> um, preventing pregnancy. And so it can absolutely happen. I was just reading for sure. Yeah. I was just reading like a study on this and it's not like a very well, it's a very small sample size and not very well back, but I wanted to talk to you about it. I wanted to point that out first before Uh Um, that sometimes in perimenopause multiples can actually occur because the body is like, Hey, we got to get rid of these eggs. Like we're absolutely. And then it will release your body will release spontaneously two eggs. So what is your kind of thought process? Absolutely. So yeah. So I have had multiple, you know, women in their mid forties who have had spontaneous twins, mm-hmm. um, pregnancy of spontaneous twins, because that's exactly right. There are some months that you may not be ovulating and some months, some months you may be releasing more than one egg that can get fertilized or you have a spontaneous one egg that, you know, turns into twins. And so, um, yeah, it can absolutely happen. So make sure, you know, if that's not on your agenda for your life in your perimenopausal years that you're careful <laughs> during those time frames. Okay. Yeah. So I read that and I was like, oh, that makes sense. But like, wow, I mm-hmm. never thought about that. Um, yep. Okay. So you've touched on some things that can be done for this journey, but I'd like to dive a little bit more into that. So like, say you are experiencing, you know, vaginal dryness or bladder leakage or those really heavy periods. What are some ways providers will work with you to kind of help those symptoms? Mm -hmm. So I always start, you know, it depends on, I always recommend that you kind of uh, come up with a plan together, obviously with your patient. 
Um, there are some women who meet criteria and can absolutely do hormone um, options to help with all of these symptoms. There are some women who are not interested in hormones at all. And so there's over-the-counter options that we can try. Um, there are, for, specifically for vaginal dryness, there are vaginal hydrators that you can get over-the-counter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk to women a lot about um, vulvar skincare just in general, um, not wearing tight-fitting clothing, trying to be very conscientious of um, their both detergents and soaps and that sort of thing. They're free and clear of fragrances and dyes, um, trying to wear white cotton underwear, being careful of the different types of panty liners that you're choosing because there are some women with fat bladder leakage that are using panty liners that have chlorine and bleach and things like that that can be more irritating to their tissues. Um, from the bladder leakage standpoint, I have a lot of women who we recommend, of course, Kegel exercises. If you're not familiar with that, that's a, um, an exercise that we work the pelvic floor muscles. And then we actually, um, and I would imagine most areas do, but in central Illinois, we have several women's health pelvic floor physical therapists that do amazing work with pelvic floor physical therapy for incontinence issues, pain with intercourse issues. I've had teenagers who are unable to, you know, use tampons and things like that, female athletes that can't use tampons. So I have them work with pelvic pelvic floor physical therapists. And so there's different um, ways that we can work that muscle tone to make it um, less likely to have bladder leakage or less likely to have pain, things like that. So that's a great option for women. Um, Also from the bladder leakage and the vaginal dryness standpoint, we in my practice, we do a laser technique called Mona Lisa, which is a laser resurfacing um, uh, technique that just kind of helps with vaginal dryness and also um, some of the urinary incontinence issues that women will have. Um, So there's lots of different options, both prescription-based, over-the-counter, and, you know, exercise-based that we can do. Now, of course, we have physicians in our office that are amazing with surgical techniques and things like that if we need that. But in general, minimally invasive things are just as effective as surgery. So again, I would stress over and over again that you know not all of these things require surgery. Um, but then from a hormonal standpoint, you know, with hot flashes and some of the hormonal changes that women have um, with PMS, of course, seed cycling is fantastic. Um, and we have some good stuff. We are really working on some awesome stuff for perimenopause and menopause. So if anyone's listening and wants some anything natural, I have like a whole research brief I can send you on all the five uh-huh. And Kate is amazing with that stuff. Her, her research it. is unbelievable. I love it. <laughs> it's diagnostic. Um, finally coming in handy. All those research papers. Is, I had to write. Right? <laughs> Um, and then of course, you know, hormonal options. I have some women who have significant anxiety when they hit this age in life. And there's a lot of other situational things that can kind of be occurring as well. So I talk a lot about, um, counseling opportunities. I also have some women who do very well with, um, anti-anxiety or antidepressant medications. Um, but then I talk a lot about, um, wellness, stress relief, diet, exercise, you know, taking time for you. There's a lot of times I think in life, women um, kind of bear the grunt of a lot of things, um, whether it be childcare and or work and or taking care of parents, their own parents. I mean, 
there's a lot of things that I think we hold a lot of stress and then it can manifest in a lot of different ways. So um, working through a lot of those things that are more natural to help people um, can be, you know, life-changing for women. That's absolutely amazing that there's so many um, different approaches you can take to it. So like, there's really something for everyone. It seems like if you want to go a more natural road, if you want to go over the counter or you want to have prescription, like there's so many different mm -hmm. ways that your provider can help you. And I think that's so empowering to know that. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. you can take charge of your health and do whatever works for you. And you don't have to live Absolutely. if you're uncomfortable in, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing is you want to feel comfortable as a patient with whatever, you know, process you're taking to help with these changes. And so it's just important conversations to have. Yeah. And I love that you touched on the mental health aspect too, because I think that's something that, I mean, even like for your whole like cycle, like cycle one to cycle, however many you have, there mm -hmm. are like hormone shifts cause mental health shifts too. And I think that's really under talked about. Um, I think it, Absolutely. in our community, we talk about it a lot, but in the general population, it's not very talked about. Right. I have a lot of women who clearly kind of um, bury some of these emotions and feelings and come to my office and will just, you know, become very tearful. Like, I don't know why I lash out at XYZ. I don't know why I feel like I can be fine in this arena, but then I go home and I, you know, am yelling at my husband or yelling at my kids or yelling at my partner. And so there's so much about mental health that I think we all try to bury, especially in the day of COVID right now, yeah. I feel like stress is at an all time high for everyone. Yes. Um, it's been a long so, like, year. Yeah. It's been unbelievable. And so I think women in general, it's okay to talk about it. You know, whether it's, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your friends about it, talk to your, or excuse me, to your private provider about it, talk to your friends, you know, get it out there. Cause sometimes that that's just as, healing as anything else, you know? I know. And it's interesting. Like this is a back to those detergents. I'm really glad you touched on that to circle back. So in college, we were like, I lived like on a hall with a bunch of people and we were like all sharing laundry detergent, like my roommate and I, and like just to save money. And I thought I had a yeast infection for a whole year. I went to six different gynecologists. It cost my mom a fortune. My A lot of money, right? Mom, <laughs> I was like, mom, they're not listening to me. And I cried so much and I didn't want to tell anyone because I was so embarrassed that I was having any kind of issue with my vagina I was like something's right. wrong with me um you know what it literally ended up being I needed to change my underwear brand to like a more cotton uh -huh. vagina friendly underwear and I needed to change my detergent and uh -huh. it was as simple as making those two changes yeah it can be life altering yeah yep and that's, those are simple things. The other thing that I talk with a lot of women about is a lot of women, especially as they're aging, they wipe, they're very aggressive when they're wiping you yeah. know, after urinating. And it's as simple as telling people you can pat dry and just be more gentle with that's those tissues. <laughs> I feel so, like we all feel like that. You got to like get it all gone. Right. <laughs> but yeah, detergents and soaps. So I have a lot of women who use, um, you know, more fragrancy soaps and, and that I was sort of thing, or they that. take bubble baths and, you know, and so those things, you can use that on the rest of your body. You're the rest of your body. Your skin is very different than the delicate tissues in the vagina. So, um, you know, less is more when it comes to vaginal, um, stuff. In fact, a lot of, um, studies will say that just using water on the vulvar mm -hmm. tissue and vagina is all you need. Most of my patients, 
don't like that because they don't like the idea of not using some sort of soap. So I usually try to recommend if you're going to use soap, make sure you use like Dove or Ivory, something that's just more gentle, something that has, doesn't have any fragrances or dyes. That is awesome advice. Okay. So many good like nuggets of advice in this. Um, <laughs> and then the last thing I want to touch on just because obviously you're so personable and you have so much knowledge, like how would you recommend building? Cause I think even though like, you know, I worked clinically, I still struggle sometimes to open up to my providers because mm -hmm. I know how busy they are. I know that I'm one of a hundred people coming that day. And like, how do you recommend, um, building up that relationship? And really like for me, it was a confidence thing. Like, how do you recommend sure. getting confident talking to your provider? I think, um, writing down it, even, you know, it's hard, obviously in, the, in today's day and age, most of us have specific appointment times and it is hard and I don't ever want people to feel rushed. So what I try to encourage my patients to do as much as possible is to write one or two key things, even up to three or three key things that are the most important on the agenda. And then if there's more things, then we can always make an appointment for another time to talk about the next two or three things. Um, because it is hard to address multiple different issues in, you know, a 15 minute appointment. Now, some physicians even have five or 10 minute appointments. That's it. You know, um, whereas as a nurse practitioner, we thankfully have more time to spend with people. And that's the reality of healthcare right now that we're kind of, I got as a nurse <laughs> practitioner and I or like mm -hmm. my, that's why I go to for care. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. love her. She like, she takes so much time with me. She talks to seeds. Yeah. She talks about seed cycling with me. I've got her all up today. I love it. But I yeah, love I, it. I love that that's an option. I don't think a lot of people know that's an option. Right. Um, yeah. I've got a pretty basic insurance plan. Um, just being, you know, yeah. broke. Most, so I've got a, so and, they help. <laughs> and they, um, they cover it. They cover the nurse practitioner. Yeah. So most, um, nurse practitioners can, and depending on your state, we, we can function on our own in our, you know, own brick and mortar. But a lot of nurse practitioners are grouped into healthcare plans with physicians and or healthcare systems. So it's absolutely an option. And there are plenty of physicians who take plenty of time too. But sometimes with the way nurse practitioners have the opportunity to take care of well woman checks versus, um, you know, a lot of our physicians in our office are dealing with surgical, you know, issues and or um, complicated pregnancies or complicated medical issues. Um, as nurse practitioners, we deal more with, you know, health and wellness and preventative care and things like that. So it tends to take a little bit more time in general, you know. Awesome. So write um, down those three patients. priorities. Yep. That's what I would say is bring, bring your list of a couple questions that we can address or you can address with your client or with your provider. And then, um, if there's more, request another appointment coming up because that's that's the goal is that you're an advocate for your own healthcare along with making decisions together with your provider for sure. That is amazing. Okay, so this is our last question of the day. We appreciate you being on here so much. It's been so much fun and I've learned a ton. So our last question is I usually ask how you think the world would change if we ended the period stigma, but I'm gonna alter it for this one. Mm -hmm. And say, how do you think the world would change if we ended the stigma around perimenopause and menopause? You know, that's a good question. It's a big I one. Think I drop it right it at the is. end. I, 
I don't put it in the prep questions. I drop it I at the end. Say, you didn't prep me for this one. <laughs> you know what? This is actually what I tell my patients all the time. Cause I have a lot of patients who come in during this time frame who talk to me about have a feeling like they have one foot, you know, infertility and one foot in the grave. I've had so many women who say to me, I feel like my life is over. And I always spin it. I say, let me offer you a different perspective. What about feeling empowered that this is a whole new chapter of your life that you can focus more on you. You don't have to worry about the symptom of, you know, how, how my month is going to change. Can I wear white pants during my period? Can I, you know, be intimate with my partner during my period, all of that. So if we ended that stigma of feeling like this is a whole new exciting time in our life versus this is the end of a whole, an era that I thought, you know, would never end. You have to look at it with new eyes and see the excitement of this new phase of your life and also empower yourself to make the most of it, you know? Um, so I think that talking about it would empower people to live a whole new exciting time frame. In a, for many years, people kind of kept quiet about all of this. Um, I think women would just be a lot more empowered to be themselves and enjoy this time versus feeling like it's kind of the end of an era. <laughs> I love that. And I love too. like, you know, I want us to celebrate our first period, but also our last, like this whole mm -hmm. new chapter, it's, it really is a cause for celebration. And, you know, I think that that's the perfect way to put it. Like it's a whole new chapter and chance at life. You've got this whole new mm -hmm. opportunity. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I hope everyone listening has enjoyed. If you have any questions, um, you can just let me know on our Instagram and I will forward them to Jen so she can get back to you guys with any answers. And then from there, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for having me. Of course. Okay.